Welcome to the podcast of Midtown Church OKC, a church of the Nazarene. We are a spiritual community of hope and transformation that lives the way of Jesus. We want to develop real relationships and have real conversations, so we would love to hear from you. Find information about our worship services, email a pastor, follow our blog, sign up for our newsletter, and find out how to be a part of our community by visiting our website, midtownchurchokc.org. Lord God, we are aware that there is much going on around us, and there is, as always, many things to ask you to do and ask you to fix and ask you to help us with. But for now, as a gathered people here tonight, we just want to pause and pray not requests, but thanksgiving. And we are thankful for the ministry of Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, who for over a hundred years has preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, has sent missionaries and men and women into ministry all over the world, and in the last four years has sent missionaries into their own city here in Midtown. We pray for Pastor Rick and for the other pastors on staff, for their church board, and for their many leaders and volunteers. We ask that you would bless them richly with the knowledge of your presence, that you would guide them as they live and walk the way of Jesus together. We ask that you would provide them clarity and courage as you lead them into obedience. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to multiply the fruit of their labor for your kingdom's sake. And we ask that you would bless City Presbyterian Church. We are grateful for these, our brothers and sisters who have offered their home to us. We pray for Pastor Doug Servan and Pastor Bobby Griffith and their church leadership team, their deacons and elders, their many leaders and volunteers. And we ask the same for them, that you would give them great courage, discernment, clarity, that you would lead them and guide them. We know that they long to be a good neighbor and a church here in the city. And so we ask that you would give them favor, that you would make the way straight for them, and that you would also multiply the fruit of their hands for your kingdom's sake. We are grateful. And so now as we continue in worship, we ask that our gratitude would fuel our songs and our listening, our response as we come to your table. Would your presence be among us? Would you open our eyes and ears to where you are moving? And may we see you tonight. And this is what we ask in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. And I have friends in the back who have Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, I'd like to lend you a Bible. You can use one for the evening. Or if you don't own a Bible, you can just have this and keep it as your own. We invite you to read it all of the time. So just hold up your hand. Somebody will bring you a Bible. 
But I invite you to turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11. As has been said before already, it is Palm Sunday. It is also, Palm Sunday can also be known, or is also known as Passion Sunday. And so we're going to read a text about Palm Sunday. And so I want to invite you uh, to stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. I will be reading Mark, chapter 11, 1 through 11, and I'll be reading out of the New Living Translation. So hear the word of the Lord for us this evening. As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Jesus Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, what are you doing? Just say the Lord needs it and we'll return it soon. The two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street, tied outside the front door. As they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, What are you doing untying that colt? And they said what Jesus had told them to say, and they were permitted to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it, and he sat on it. Many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others spread leafy branches they had cut in the fields. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God, blessing on the one who comes in the name of the Lord, blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Praise God in his highest heaven. So Jesus came to Jerusalem and went into the temple. After looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. Then he returned to Bethany with the twelve disciples. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say together, Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So imagine with me, if you would, this scene. Mark tells us that as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at Bethany, there it was at the Mount of Olives. Now, I want you to understand, you know what, I messed it up again. If you are a kindergartner through fifth grade, we invite you to the children's sermon. So that happens in the back. Anybody else? It's going to be better than the one I'm giving you, I promise. Are we okay? I'm sorry, Pastor Hope. So imagine with me, if you would, we are in this scene, and, and Mark tells us that as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany, there in the Mount of Olives, there is this, this event taking place. Something really significant is happening. And I want you, as we listen to this, to feel the elation and the excitement and the energy. Now, those who would have read this gospel for the first time or they would have heard it, they would have known that something is significant. They would have recognized what all of this meant. They would have heard that uh, as, as Jesus, as Mark talked about the road from Jericho to Jerusalem, they would have known and remembered that this was a very, very long and hard climb. I've got a picture of this road from Jericho to Jerusalem. I want you to be able to see it. So Jericho is the lowest city on earth. It's over 800 feet below sea level, while Jerusalem is about, I don't know, half marathon away, uh, is nearly 3,000 feet above sea level. And the road goes through this hot, dry desert all the way to the top of the Mount of Olives, at, at which point, quite suddenly, you have, uh, you have, when you get to the top, the very first sight of real vegetation. There is this glorious sight 
of things that are growing, things that are green, and then you see it. It is Jerusalem itself. Now, Mark tells us this, and the people would have understood it for the first time, and you need to know it tonight, that when they get to the top, they have to recognize that God is doing something. They begin to see that this is a place of meaning. It's a place of value. This is God's city. They, they all believed together as the pilgrims came and as they journeyed there that, that God was present in this city. And in this very real way, the lives of these people at this time who were on this journey towards Jerusalem, their lives were dry and it's been a hard journey and they've faced all kinds of difficulties. They've faced heartache and pain. They have faced loss. They've seen war and they've seen starvation. They've faced a dire economic climate and they've faced persecution. And they make this journey during one of the greatest celebrations in their, in their year and they finally, finally reach the top. And Mark says when they come to the Mount of Olives, they see vegetation, they see trees, they see olive groves, they see things growing. It's evidence of new life. All these symbols Mark includes because he wants to make sure that we catch that there is something happening here. It is the incoming kingdom of God, and it is upon them. And this picture and this journey is just a picture and a symbolism of what is happening in the lives of these travelers. And I think we understand this. As a pastor, um, I'll have you know that in my prayers, I carry your burdens. This week, I have been carrying the burdens for teachers. And I have been praying for my friends without health insurance. And I have been praying for my friends who have lost their jobs or who have had job insecurities. I've been praying for my friends who have been ripped off or stolen from. And frankly, like it was for those early journeyers, those early pilgrims, life can feel like a journey out of a, a low space. And sometimes it's a, it's a hard walk on a road like this. Maybe even sometimes it's simply a crawl through a dry desert And many of you have even come to this place and you barely made it. Another worry this week, another another, uh, more bad news, a a strike, another issue at, at work, a job loss or the fear of one. Maybe it was a bad medical report. Another week gone by where, where the relationship is still not, not repaired. You're not interested in making any jokes tonight. You don't want anybody wasting your time. All you do is you come here and you're hoping for something good. And Palm Sunday reminds us that there was a day when people cra- crawled out of a, a low space. And they crawled out of a desert and they found signs. Vegetation. And celebration. Can you, can you hear this? Shrip and Poppy help us. There is, there are children. There's singing. Can you feel the excitement? Can you smell the, the food? Can you hear the music? It's one of these moments, Mark leads us to say, that, that perhaps something great might happen. 
Like when you come to worship every week, these pilgrims, they make their journey to these feasts and festivals every year, and they hope maybe, just maybe, they will meet God. Maybe they will meet the living God. Maybe, hopefully, God will show up. And they're coming to this place to remember these great stories and to celebrate these great stories of the past so that they might have hope for their future freedom. There is the singing, and there is this dancing, and there is the feasting, and and all of this would come at the end of their long journey. And then, all of a sudden, you are one of Jesus' disciples, and you hear Jesus give you this command. I want you to go into the village, and just as you enter it, before we get to town, just as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever written. Ridden. I want you to untie it, and I want you to bring it here. And if anyone asks you why you're doing this, tell him, the Lord needs it, and he'll send it back here shortly. And not only are you captured by the energy and the music that's pulling you in, but you get to realize that which was declared a long time ago, that there was this Messiah that was promised, this Savior that would come and rescue the world and rescue from the people from brokenness. He might just be standing there in front of you. He's this king, and he's this ultimate authority. But unlike other kings, he doesn't plunder to get what he wants. He even promises to return the animal that he's borrowed. He's a picture of gentleness and humility. And this king is standing right in front of you. And while all the music and all the children and all the food and the signs of vegetation and and trees and green grass, there is God's sovereign and saving presence. And he's revealed in quite a new way, and you know now that what you've been hoping for has come true. And the scriptures that you learned and were told when you were, when you were just a child were now being fulfilled. But that's not it. That's not the end. Because then this one rides into the town, and you and your friends watch the crowds acknowledge who he is. They throw their garments on the ground just as they did in the Old Testament for Jehu, who was, who was the anointed king in 1 Kings 9. And you know that you don't spread cloaks on the road, especially in the dusty, stony Middle East for a friend or even one of your parents, or a senior member of your family, the only reason people do this is because they'll do it for royalty. And you watch as an amazement as they take place, as all that's taking place, and you recognize that those who are in front of you and those who are behind you and those who are lining the streets are waving leaves and branches, palm branches, and they fill the air with choruses. They're singing over and over and over, Hosanna, which in Hebrew means save now, save us, save us, I pray. And people just don't go and cut off branches from trees or foliage for fields to wave in streets just because they feel somewhat excited or elated. They do it because they're welcoming a king. And you're watching all of this happen. 
And people are chanting thanksgiving and beatitudes. And they shout the words of the psalm we read earlier tonight, Psalm 118. O Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And from the house of the Lord, we bless you. And then in the middle of all this, this crowd inserts a dangerous prayer. Welcome to the kingdom of our father David. And they are acknowledging that he is the one. It is not just you and your friends. Everyone acknowledges this. And finally, at the end of this grand parade, Mark lets us know that Jesus makes his way to the temple where he then looks around at everything. And he doesn't tell us that Jesus goes into the temple as a tourist to admire the architecture or to be dazzled by the marble or the gigantic stones. He doesn't even go there to offer prayers or sacrifice. But what he does without saying a word is identify himself as the Lord and he enters the temple as prophesied by the prophet Malachi in Malachi 3.1, which says this, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come. Everything that has been written is being fulfilled. What a day. And this is what we remember on Palm Sunday. And we remember it and we relive it every year. You know what? Mark is not, he's not a joke teller. He doesn't leave us with a bunch of unnecessary details. He doesn't pull a bunch of punches. There's no wasting time with tomfoolery for Mark. He is declaring that Jesus from the beginning is the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one of God who is ushering in a new kingdom. And this is what Palm Sunday does for us. It reminds us that Jesus of Nazareth is God's Messiah, the anointed one that has come to save us. And celebrations like this can be exhilarating. And while this is called Palm Sunday, it is also called Passion Sunday. Because it is the first Sunday, the first day of Holy Week, the week where Jesus made his journey to the cross. And in the middle of all this celebrating, no one was expecting that this story would end in his bloody murder. We know and believe that the Messiah has come to save. So we celebrate. But we need to be warned. It is easy for us to get swept up in these spiritual experiences. It happens to me every time I'm in Norman prior to a football game. I'm not even an Oklahoma football fan, but I can't help myself after I catch the weather report and I hear these words, it's football time in. It's a, oh, some of you are excited already. It's a spiritual experience. You know, we get swept up in these spiritual experiences and we celebrate because we think that messiahs are coming to save us. And these messiahs that we hope for usually come in the way we want, or we at least hope they will. We have a tendency to celebrate messiahs and saviors like this all the time. Several years ago, ESPN, uh, their favorite topic was Tim Tebow. 
And uh, he was seen as God's anointed. And one poll showed that because of his faith, the majority of Americans thought that God helped Tim Tebow and the Denver Broncos win in miraculous fourth quarter fashions. And people even purchased these jerseys. They were worn by Denver Bronco fans. But you know that as soon as Tim Tebow couldn't pull it off, he was run out of town. Everyone knows that in the political arena, all parties attempt to hold up some sort of messianic figure who will create change or provide reform or establish opportunities for wealth building along with good education, great health care, and pretty much longer, fuller, and more vibrant lives. The only thing that I don't think that these politicians promise is better sex because they leave that up to the messianic products that we see advertised every day. Toothpaste and vehicles and detergent and faster internet connections will save us from the bad lives and give us opportunity for free love with no strings attached, which, of course, leads to salvation from the desert we find ourselves in. And if we're not careful, we can fall victim to the energy in these kinds of celebrations. These celebrations that we see every single day can catch us off guard, and they can convince us of other messiahs. And at the same time, we need to be careful that we don't misread this passage and to insert our own assumptions regarding what this messiah will do for us. Palm Sunday, Pastor Mark calls us to watch out, because we have a tendency to worship the gods that look like us. Now, in this passage, the people celebrate because they believe that he will immediately restore the, their fortunes and the fortunes of Jerusalem, and, 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 and they think that he is going to do for them what, what they want him to do. But you know, Jesus doesn't have hardly any words in Mark. It's a strange thing because Mark puts an emphasis on Jesus' silent lowliness. You know, he doesn't say anything throughout the entire celebration. He doesn't say anything when he goes to the temple. There are no speeches. There are no promises. His silence seems to suggest, I'm, I'm the Messiah, and I will save, but it's not like you expect. And he saves our lives not by making promises and not by holding rallies or not by placing us on the winning team, not by dynamic speeches, but he saves us when he goes on this very long, hard journey that is our lives with us. Isaiah says that um, he was the one who they would call Emmanuel. Jesus says, I am I am with you. Holy Week is this week that represents a journey out of a low place. Like the slaves in Egypt, or the exiles, or the ones like you who may be in a dry place, a hard place, a place of suffering. Palm Sunday, Passion Sunday, is the day in which we remember the truth that God who is in solidarity with us, entered into the desert journey in a low place that is our lives and even died in solidarity with us. And as we move into this Passion Week, we remember that as Jesus met with his disciples, he did something unexpected. The king above all kings took off his clothes. 
And he wrapped a towel around himself. And like a slave, he washed the feet. He served them in silent lowliness. And then he moved into a garden, praying for the will of God. He was given a guilty sentence. He heard the chants of the people, Messiah, save us, turn into crucify him. He was whipped, flogged, beaten, stripped, mocked, betrayed, tortured. And he gave up his life, standing in solidarity with us. On Passion Sunday, Palm Sunday, we've heard the cheers. We've shouted the hosannas, and we've recognized the true nature of this Messiah's identity. He is the one who has come to save us and promises to do so, but he does not come in the way in which we expect. But what we see on Palm Sunday is that he embraces our desert walk. He goes into the lowest places with us, and maybe, just maybe, he's capable to raise us from the dead. So today, it's interesting because the setting and the whole story ends in the Mount of Olives. And this is important because according to the prophecy of Zechariah 14, the Lord will appear in Jerusalem coming from the Mount of Olives with praise ringing in his ears. The Mount of Olives with its green and lush vegetation stands in contrast to the journey on the road. But what's interesting is it's in the Mount of Olives that Jesus prayed in torment. And after his disciples sang a hymn, he was there at the close of the Last Supper. He is moving towards a cross. And as we enter into this Holy Week, we are reminded that this is a symbol to us that we do not walk this journey of suffering alone. We also remember that it is at his table where we remember, we have tangible ways to remember that Jesus embraces our journey. He embraces our death. This is a gift to us. The King of Kings is with us. This is how he saves We are on the receiving end of God's gift. And it doesn't matter if you have no accomplishments. It does not matter if you have no achievements. It does not matter if you have no qualifications. If you are on the road and it is dry and it is a road of suffering and it is a road that leads to death, you are welcome to this table. And when you come to this table... You are on the receiving end of God's gift, and you declare that Christ has died, and soon Christ will rise, and we all know together that he will come again. This, my friends, is a gift for those of us who, through gratitude, want to embrace it, knowing that he is with us. So, at dinner, before he prayed in the Mount of Olives, Jesus uh, took the bread and he broke it. And he gave thanks, and he wanted his friends to remember that this is my body, and it is broken for you. I am, I am with you. And whenever you eat this, I want you to remember me. 
And then in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he held it up and he said, this covenant, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's the new promise that I am. I am with you. And whenever you drink this, I want you to do so in affectionate remembrance of me. I want to invite you, friends, to this table. And I want, to, I want to, you to recognize that God in Jesus has walked with us, that God in Jesus is walking with us, that God in Jesus is with us in our suffering and in our pain, that God in Jesus takes on our very death. And I want you to know that by receiving the invitation to his dinner, that you are with him as he is with you. This, my friends, is Jesus' table. I stand here, and I do not invite you here. He invites you here. So all of you who are in need of this, I am, I am with us. I want to invite you to this table on his behalf. I want, you, I want to invite you on his behalf to this dinner, and I want you to be grateful. This is his table. All who are open to the work of God in Christ are welcome to this table. And so, you know, we have no barriers. Our bread is gluten-free and our wine is non-alcoholic. But I want you on this Palm Sunday, at the beginning of Passion Week, to come down this aisle with your hands cupped, ready to receive that which is good and that which comes from God. We do not take communion here at our church. We receive it. Because I am who is with us, this is a gift to us. So allow these to serve you. Listen to what they have to say. Allow them to put the bread into your hands and then dip the bread into the cup and eat it. And if for any reason you are unable to come down our aisle to celebrate or you need assistance, we would like to bring the celebration to you. So just please wave to my friend Justin over here and he will bring the elements to you. My friends, this is a representation. He is with you. I invite you.